Hello, this is Bill Lytell, Senior Pastor of Gospel Baptist Church in Bonita Springs, Florida. Welcome. Uh, if you listened to me last week, you know in the last couple weeks on Wednesday night, this is my Wednesday night Bible teaching, I've been talking about prophecy, specifically going through commentary, uh, kind of verse by verse uh, commentary in chapter 4 and 5. Uh, I love that, those two chapters. I believe those are what I call rapture chapters. Come up here, they're being uh, the beginning of the rapture of the church. You don't hear church after chapter 4 and 5. You hear, man, church, church, church before 4 and 5 and not, nothing after. Pretty powerful that the church is gone. Other reasons, of course. Uh, the reason, I'm going to give you a real, real, uh, indisputable reason why I believe there has to be a rapture of the church before the seven-year tribulation period can begin in, in its full throttle. Uh, some people believe in a mid-trib rapture. I don't see it. I just can't see it. I've looked at it hard, post-trib rapture, <clears throat> excuse me, and I do not see it. I've just looked at it carefully. Prophecy is one of my favorite studies, both going back from my study at Bob Jones University and Pensacola Christian College with a master's degree, and now preaching 40-plus years through the Bible, reading it through over and over again, just pouring over those pages and going to the Holy Spirit and asking Him to give me wisdom and understanding and clarity. Uh, I just, uh, the only, the only tri tri uh, rapture theory that I can endorse will is the pre-trib rapture theory, the pre-tribulation rapture theory. Now, there's a church of Jesus Christ the born-again believers are raptured out prior to the 70th week of Daniel. And if you don't know what those terms are, uh, there's a book you can buy and it'll help you called Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost. Pentecost did a masterful, lifelong work on <clears throat> all of prophecy. And so it'll help you to get that book if you can, both elect either electronically or get it. Things to Come by Dwight Pentecost, a uh, thorough, careful, reasonable, honest, repeatable through the generations work on prophecy. Now, I want to talk to you about a couple things. Specifically, uh, after chapter 5, we're going in chapter 6, we, begin, we see 21 judgments begin to be unleashed. And these are in series, series of seven. You have, you have six judgments, the seventh off, uh, releasing the next seven, and the next one releasing the next seven. And these, these 21 judgments seem to last pretty much most of the seven-year period of time. They also are not localized judgments. They are worldwide judgments. So you see these judgments are not just uh, for America. They're not just for Europe. They're not just for Africa or Asia. They're a world impactive. I did a little mathematics, in fact, on the uh, amount of people that will be killed by these judgments. According to what the Bible says, it looks like one half of the world's population will be destroyed uh, by these uh, 21 plagues or judgments. Now, also, let me tell you something about these 21 judgments. They get stronger as they go on. In other words, the first seven seal judgments go to the seven trumpet judgments 
go to the seven vile judgments. And as they progress, it seems like the judgments get harder, more impactive, more worldwide, and maybe not more worldwide, but more severe in nature. People say to me, uh, why, why, can't the, why can't the church of Jesus Christ go through the tribulation period? It's a good question. Well, let me go back to Abraham when he was reasoning with God about Lot being in Sodom. That's Genesis 18, I believe it is. And so if you go back there and you read this section where, where the angel comes down, angel of the Lord comes down and tells Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Now, Lot, many of us may not like Lot, but the Bible calls him just Lot. And so when the Bible calls you just, God bless, I just have to believe it no matter what the person, who, how he did or what I read about him. There's something God knew about him I didn't know. He's living in Sodom. He has two virgin daughters living with him and his wife. He evidently had other children. They had married already, sons-in-laws. He had sons-in-laws and some children in Lot. Lot was, uh, this uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is a type and a reality of the world. So we got a righteous man, a just man, living in the middle of wickedness on his right hand and on his left. Now, Peter tells us that this vexed Lot's righteous soul day by day. The word vex means to, oh, it's a strong word. It means to torment. And I ask you, Christian, are you not being tormented like I'm being tormented uh, with the unrighteous behavior of the world? Are you not being tormented by this transgender thing that's going on? Are you not being tormented by the homosexuality thing being condoned and, and, and pushed forward as, as just an alternative lifestyle? Does this not bother you when you see the immorality and people live together rather than get married? Does it bother you that murders and rapes and pornography uh, seem to dominate uh, the world? Well, if it does, uh, amen, because you're similar to Lot, which was in the middle of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he was suffering the same kind of thing that we're suffering, which is to have to experience these or listen to here about these wicked things, and it vexes our soul. So we're vexed by their ungodly behavior. The, uh, the uh, reasoning that Abraham uses to God is extremely important to note. He says, God, you'll not destroy the righteous with the wicked. Now, how did he know that? I don't know. But he knew God well enough to know that God would not, oh, God forbid that you would destroy the righteous with the wicked. That principle of God, that character of God, is why there must be a rapture. And I can prove it to you by some research I did here just recently and it's, it's not new research. I mean, other people have done it. But I, I took the word wrath and went through the book uh, of Revelation just to see how many times it occurred. It occurred 13 times. By vast majority of those times, it refers to God's wrath. Now, let me just read some of the places, and you'll get the same idea I believe I got. In Revelation chapter 6, verse 16, it says, And he said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us. 
and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. In chapter 6, verse 17, For the great day of his wrath is come, and who shall be able to stand? If we didn't have any other verses to go to, because the Bible only has to really say something at one time, I would say that this is a period, the day meaning period, of wrath. So what is the tribulation period? It's a period of God's wrath upon man. Revelation eleven eighteen. Nations were angry. <clears throat> I see some of that now. When Christianity has uh, the say in things, when Christianity pushes back on abortion, when Christianity pushes back on indecency, when Christianity pushes back on on human uh, dignity and 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 begins to tell them that life matters, and you see the world push back. Oh, not to be ruled by these Christians or these fairy tale Christians. Yeah, nations were angry. <clears throat> They're getting angry again. And it says, thy wrath is come. This is from the 11th chapter of 22 chapters of the book of Revelation. In chapter 12, verse 12, the, words wrath, the word wrath is used for the devil. For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath. Wow. So not only is this a period of the wrath of God, and I can say that with assured, absolute uh, confidence, but it is also a time of the wrath of the devil. The devil's cast down upon the earth in a short time, and his wrath is great. Wow. And in chapter 14, verse 8, it says uh, that um, Babylon has fallen, fallen, the great city, because she's made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. In Revelation 14, 10, it says the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God that is poured out without mixture into the cup of indignation. In verse 19 of chapter 14, the angel thrust in the sickle of the earth and gathered the vine of the earth, cast into the great winepress of the wrath of God. In 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, I saw another angel, a sign in heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having seven plagues, for in them is, is filled up the wrath of God. In other words, it's fulfilled in these final seal or vial, if I may say, judgments. And in 15, 7, it says in the four, and one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels some seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. And in chapter 16, verse 1, he says, uh, I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath uh, of God upon the earth. Wow. Chapter 16, verse 19. Give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of the wrath of God. Chapter 19, verse 15, on the second coming. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of and wrath of Almighty God. So this uh, this baby Jesus, this um, Lamb of God who wouldn't break even a little reed, now becomes a lion of the tribe of Judah, trampling out the very winepress of the wrath of Almighty God upon this world. 
I hear people say, oh, the love of God is so great. He'd never send anybody to hell. They do not know the Bible. They're heretics. They're unbelievers. That is not what the Holy Spirit said. The Holy Spirit said that he comes to tread out the winepress of the wrath of God. The Holy Spirit said through the Bible he's coming back as a lion of the tribe of Judah. That's what the Bible says. Think what they may, say what they may. God is a God of love, but he also is a God of wrath. And every unjust deed and every wicked and ungodly speech and every, all the ungodly words that are spoken against God, the theory of evolution, all the other stuff that's put itself up against God are going to finally and once for all be judged by God a time of wrath. So the tribulation period is a time of God's wrath. I think we can settle that question. So let's go back to Abraham. Abraham said, will not the judge of all the earth do right? Surely thou will not judge the righteous with the wicked. That's what the book says. Well, that means, brother, by principle, if the tribulation period is a time of wrath, like the wrath that fell on Sodom and Gomorrah, and the angels, you know the story, grabbed Lot and his wife and the two daughters and literally dragged those four people out of the city. He told them, don't look back on the city. That had to do with a heart condition somewhat. And, and, and Lot's wife, you know, and Jesus brought her up. And in fact, Jesus told us, remember Lot's wife. Don't forget her because she looked back. Oh, dear one, dear born-again Christian, you get saved out of the quagmire of sin and you get pulled out of a out of a filth of this world and saved by the grace of God and given the Holy Spirit, don't you look back with admiration, with, with a longing for the old world. Don't look back at the old dance times, the old drug times, the old drinking times, the old immorality times with some sort of a, oh, oh I miss those days. God forbid. If you do that, you're committing the sin of Lot's wife. The Bible says, remember Lot's wife. Don't do it. Don't do it. He seriously turned a pillar of salt and, in fact, did not even get delivered out of that. And so, wow. So just one more, just one more brick in the argument uh, that the pre-tribulation rapture is a biblical uh, and represents the biblical teaching uh, of what's going to happen in the future that there will be a rapture of God's church. Why? So that he can pour out his wrath upon this old world, uh, unmixed, undiluted, so that they receive the things that they have done against him in this kind of this section of 21 judgments that come upon the earth. So much more to be said on that. I must, must keep going. Because really what I want to talk about uh, this morning, or uh, this evening, I should say, on Wednesday night here, is I want to talk about a little small passage in chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. This is a small section, but what an insightful section this is. And it's, a, it's after the fifth seal. And when he had opened the fifth seal, this is verse 9 now I'm reading, and I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. This is after death. This is after death now. Think about this now. Think of the insight that this passage talks to us, but what happens after death? Are you conscious after death? 
Can you think after that? Are you reason after death? Do you care after death? Do you recognize anything after death? And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell upon the earth? And white robes were given under, I always say, you better like white. The white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said of them that they should rest for a little season under, until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were uh, should be fulfilled. Now you say, Brother Bill, I thought you just said that the born-again church is taken out of the world. With the rapture, I did. But after the rapture of the church, Think how much we've talked about this rapture thing. Think how much we have we, we've sown this knowledge throughout the whole world that there's going to be a rapture of the church. Now you have it. Millions, millions of people will be gone uh, in their jobs, in their places of importance, in their families. It's going to create a worldwide stir. Now it's also going to be, it's going to be the uh, setting of the fuse if I may say, the lighting of the fuse for the tribulation period. The Antichrist then will now be free to come up and declare himself as, if I may say, a savior of mankind. And in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's uh, uh, ministry of holding back evil through us. Remember, we're the salt of the world. We're the light of the world. Through us, because the Holy Spirit's in me, he holds back the evil around us. You may not sense that. You may not even know that, but it's true. Through you, the Holy Spirit is holding back evil. We're gone. We're not there to say, hey, you shouldn't have topless dancing. Hey, you should get that porn off of there. Hey, you shouldn't be promoting homosexuality. We're not there to do that anymore. But bigger than all that, the Holy Spirit withdraws that ministry he has away. He, he that letteth will no longer continue to let. In other words, he's not going to hold back evil like he once did. He's going to be releasing and allowing the devil and allowing the demons to come up and do their thing over the seven-year period of time. Now, understand this. That does not mean that he's not going to save people. That does not mean that he's not going to convict people of sin. There's people out there saying, well, the Holy Spirit's taken away. Nobody's going to be saved after the tribulation. If they ever heard about Jesus or ever heard about the Word of God, the Bible never get this so clear. The Bible never says that. They take that out of 2 Thessalonians, and uh, the, the people are not saved if they don't love the truth, and that's always the way it is. And any time, if people don't love the truth, they're not saved. But people, that does not mean that people that have just heard the truth, people that have heard that, saw their mother read the Bible, saw their mother pray, uh, heard a, a preacher on TV once in a while, maybe heard something like this, and then went their merry way and didn't pay more attention to it. The rapture comes, worldwide event. In their mind, they say, "There's something big going on here. Let me find a Bible." They're going to be they're going to be laying everywhere. They're going to find a Bible. Maybe the John three sixteen, like you do. I go to motel rooms. I always take that Bible and mark John three sixteen through twenty one. I always do. We do that. Leave a gospel tract there. They're in a motel room. They grab that Bible in the in the thing. They look at it. They open it up. They say, "Woo! This is it. This is it. Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner, unable to save myself. I believe you're the only way to heaven. I want to be saved." And they trust Christ as their personal savior. The Holy Spirit comes in, saves them, like He saved you. Now, those folks are in dire straits, however, 
because they're being raised in a time where the Holy Spirit's hindering of evil has been pulled back and the beast has been raised up and he's going to be allowed to show himself and to manifest himself and all, if I may say it this way, forgive my language, all hell will break loose upon this world. These born-again believers will be an anomaly in this midst. Now, there's there going to be a lot of them. The Bible says they can't even be numbered. There's so many of them. People from every, every language, every tribe, every kindred, every tongue are going to be born again in the tribulation period. Because there will be Bibles everywhere. Think of all we've left. Tracks everywhere. Bibles everywhere. Churches everywhere. You come in our church, you get a gospel track right in the foyer. You can grab one and get saved. People are going to get saved. Millions and maybe millions and millions of people will be saved. They will be martyred. That's who this is talking about in verse 9 through 11. These souls get martyred in the tribulation period, and they're, and they're find themselves under the altar, and they, they, uh, they are clothed in white. They're told the rest of those seasons because there's some more people as these things go on, as the trip goes on, are going to be slain. Now, let me give you a quick, uh, let me give you a quick um, review here of what that means, and i got to stop. Here we go. In verses 9 through 11, what, what do we see in these verses? We see, first of all, that after death you can talk. After death you can remember. After death you can reason. After death, you can hear. After death, you can be comforted. After death, you can feel angry. How long, O oh Lord? Uh, they have a concept of time. They, they are aware. They're aware of what's going on. Uh, they, they can rest. You know, the Bible says in Hebrews, the rest for the people of God is not here, but it's over there. If you go to Luke chapter 16 and the death of uh, Lazarus and the rich man, and you see that uh, the rich man, and read that section there in, in chapter 16, I think it's verse 19 through about 31, we also learn, combined with this, that the lost, have a, the, the lost that are on the other side, now I talk, so far I've talked about the saved on the other side, the lost on the other side also have a burden for their loss. The rich, the rich man in hell lifted up his eyes being in torment. He saw Abraham afar off. There was a great valley there that couldn't go across, but he could talk back and forth. And he, he asked Abraham, he says, I got five brothers. I got five brothers. There's Lazarus right by you there. Can you send him up to my brothers because they're lost and I don't want them to come to this place. In other words, they had an evangelistic concern and a compassion for the loss in hell, in Hades, the holding place in Hades there. Wow. He could see. He looked and saw Abraham. He looked and saw Lazarus. He said, could Lazarus just put his finger in this water here and, and come in and just put it on my tongue just to have a little relief, a little water? No. He thirsted. And boy, let me say something about hell. My heart breaks over this. Hell is bigger than fire, and it's loneliness. It is thirst that will never be quenched, hunger that will never be quenched, desires that will never be quenched. And I think maybe the worst part about hell will be the remembrance that you could have been saved, that you chose to be there by the rejection of Jesus Christ, your personal Savior, that you, you chose to be there by the rejection of the Bible. You didn't read the Bible. It was laying everywhere. You didn't read it. You didn't think it was worthy of your read. 
You didn't pursue God that way. Dear one, don't go to hell. But people and people on the other side, whether they're saved or lost, have all these things that they they have in consciousness. So, is there consciousness after death? There absolutely is. Where do we learn that? We learn that from the book. One of the main passages of the book of Revelation, chapter 6, verse 9 through 11. I want to mention that you touch your face some 800 times a day. So even when I'm making this video, I get a little itch on the top of my nose, or I got to touch I get a little... I get... Ah. You know, it's just the way it is. I hope that helps you some. And there's so much more. I'm just ready to burst uh, with, with examples and things, but I can't due to time constraint. But I just want you to say, I just want to say to you, the Bible's a rich book. It's a beautiful book. I hope you continue to listen to prayer meeting. Come to prayer meeting the first week of May. Unless something else goes crazy or we get some sort of a setback that nobody can see, we're going to open up for... Uh, some, uh, it may not be exactly like we've ever had services before. We may have a sit away from each other a little bit more. No shaking of hands. We're not going to go crazy. I think we wash our hands and don't sneeze or cough in service. Um, you don't come sick. I think we'll be fine. I hope that uh, if you want to wear a mask, you're more than welcome to wear a mask. If you want to wear gloves, you can wear gloves if you want to. If you don't want to, it's voluntary. Uh, but obviously, if there's somebody coughing or somebody's got a fever or somebody sneezing, we're going to ask them to leave, uh, at, at least temporarily, until we get a little bit better grip on what's going on. May the Lord bless you, keep you, cause his face to shine upon you, and give you peace. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church Bonita Springs, Florida, also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. Thank you, and God bless.